Welcome to Kaizen Time, part of the Blood, Sweat, and Business podcast, where we provide constant improvement to businesses through timely, actionable financial solutions. Do you want answers to your financial questions? Email us at bsp at kaizencpas.com. I'm your host, Mark Valeski. Now let's get started. Good morning and welcome to Kaizen Time. I am joined by Eric Jorn, a partner here at the firm. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. Are you ready to talk about basically the new year? Absolutely. Well, it's terrifying and exciting at the same time, right? New year brings a new you. Your favorite favorite term. (laughs) Well, you always like to think that it's a new year and it's a new you. Although it's, that means it's closer to tax season, which, you know, that's our favorite time of the year as well. But before we even start talking about anything, one thing I really want to talk about is how so many people set goals for the new year and how many of them just fail in the first weeks, then months. And that's not what we want for anyone, right? And when we're going to be talking about, and, and the subject of this podcast is really trying to set up a small business for success long term to fulfill their yearly goal. Totally. So let's uh let's actually break that down. So what are some great tips to increase sales and revenue for a small business? Yeah, no, this is a great question, right? This is probably where everybody starts with setting goals for the new year. Th- is. This is how we start the new year. <laughs> how how do we get more revenue in the business, right? How do we how do I make more money? Everybody asks that question. Everybody wonders how we do it. And it, you know, hey, if you can take some tips from this and succeed with them, I mean, that's a, that's a big win, right? That's more money in your pocket. Pens and post-it notes out now. All right. Um, So one of the best things to do, right, is to start with what is, you know, how much do I want to grow by? How much more revenue do I want to bring in the door? So the more intentional you can be with setting that goal of how much, you know, how much we want to grow and how much can we actually service of that growth too, right? Something to think about. So, um, I think a really thorough exercise around this. So step back and say, okay, what am I at at capacity right now? If I'm at a hundred percent capacity and I want to grow a bunch in the next year and I don't have a hiring plan in place, I'm setting myself up for failure, right? Remember we're, we're not just trying to increase sales, but we're trying to set goals that we can achieve. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we got to make sure we set ourselves up for success. So I guess number one, start with where am I at right now? If I have capacity, okay, how do I get growth to fill that capacity? And if I want to grow above and beyond that, set that growth target, set my staffing goals, sort of fill the capacity to also then staff that new growth that I'm looking to bring in the door. So one thing I I actually want to pause you on that uh, because I actually think it's important to backtrack and look at where you've been, know where you've been, understand all those numbers of why you've been there, to go forward. Can you go into a little bit of detail on that, Eric? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, so the, the past sometimes does predict the future. Um, so one thing to, to look at is, hey, let's go back the past three years. What does my growth pattern look like over that period of time? How much growth am I going to naturally get without additional efforts, right? If I'm growing at a 25% uh, tick per year the last three years, well, there's a good chance I'm going to continue to grow by 25%. Now, COVID's kind of thrown a, a little bit of a wrench into some historical figures because I think we were all ramping up for 2019. 2020 was a dip, and then all of a sudden, 21 was an explosion to catch up. 22 was still up there. We've seen some settling in 23, 
Um, but you can still use those historical figures to kind of set a projection for the next year of what might actually grow. Um, and then once you have that number, you say, okay, am I satisfied with this or do I want that to be greater? So basically one is you got to set the goal. Yes. You need to know what target you have for that growth. I be, again, be very intentional of what you wanted to do. If you just say, I want to grow sales with no target. So basically a number, you need a number, make a decision. Yep. You're not losing just a couple pounds. You're picking five pounds. Exactly. You got to have a number in mind and then say, yes. Okay. How are we going to achieve those goals? So Eric, what are some examples of how do we achieve that goal? Definitely. So if say my goal is to grow by say, let's just say $300,000 in revenue. All right. Uh, Then I have to think about my business model. What do I do? Do I have a recurring service? Do I have a one-time service? You know, what is my numerical measurement? Essentially, what do I need to bring in the door to get $300,000 of revenue? So once I have that number, so say that is 60 clients. So I need to get 60 more clients for my business. And if I'm going to bring in 60 clients, all right, how many sales appointments do I need to have for those 60 clients? And how many salespeople do I need to close on those 60 new clients? So really, you're what you're doing is you're kind of creating a backwards equation of what type of activity do I need to have in place to drive the res- desired result that I have? If you don't set measurements and each one of those stages, right? We're just flying by the seat of our pants. And so another, another example of this is let's say it's an auto repair shop, right? Yep. They say, okay, we want to grow by, you know, uh, 300,000, right? Yep. They say, how many repairs do we have to do? Yep. Okay. And you know, what's our average repair cost? Yep. And uh, do we need to increase that cost? You know, then you're also looking at your competitors. What mm-hmm. are they doing? Yep. And then, okay, if all those are fine, you're not increasing your costs to say, okay, how can we achieve more services within this year? Yep. So you can, so say an auto, let's take an auto repair shop, for sure. example. Uh, I could talk about them all day. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, you're looking at, so I have my growth goal of 300,000. I'm going to break down that by my average repair order value. So what is my ARO? That tells me how many more cars I need to have in my shop uh, to hit that growth number. Again, that's one measurement, right? How do I get more cars mm-hmm. in the shop? So how much do I need to spend in marketing to get those cars in my shop? How many more appointments do I need to set to get those cars in my shop? Those are all future measurements that you can, that distill down to that. But if there's other ways to do it, right? We can increase our ARO, right? We don't have to just service more customers. We can actually get more revenue out of those same customers. Mm-hmm. So then we can look at our labor rate, right? Is our labor rate, um, is it in line with the market? I mean, to be honest, is my opinion when you're setting a labor rate is you have goals for your shop. Well, set your labor rate based on achieving those goals for your shop. So if you have a set percentage of profit that you want to achieve, set your labor rate based on that profit goal that you have and how much overhead you need to turn to do that. And then it's your job as the shop owner to deliver on that value of that labor rate. So I could be 30% higher than my nearest competitor. That's fine. But now it's my goal to, to create enough value to achieve that 30% increase. So either make sure that your employees, one, are, are worthy of that, right? They're producing at that level, that yeah. quality. And that you have the expectations with those employees that we deliver at that level, at that premium rate. 
All right. Well, that's great. What what else? <laughs> what else you want to add to this? I yeah. feel like there's a you could there, go. Away we can go all day, on. right? Well, I, we'll just go all day. <laughs> we'll, we'll just go continue with an automotive repair facility. Yeah, it's it's simple, and and I think this translates well to all sorts of Pretty businesses. Much everyone right? should be able to understand it from this base because yeah. most businesses are selling parts and labor to a certain extent. Maybe it's combined in one or, product yeah, and they're retailing yep. a product. Maybe they're servicing somebody and their parts is really a small cost, but this all translates. So we talked about labor, so parts. So automotive repair shops should be operating on something called a parts pricing matrix, which essentially says if the part costs me X, I should charge Y for that. So I plug the cost in, it tells me what I should charge for it. And based on the cost of the part, tells you how much you can mark it up. So say I have a 10 cent light bulb. Well, I can mark that thing up 10 times and make 90 cents on that 10 cent light bulb. But I have, if I have a $2,000 engine, I might only be able to mark that up, say, 20% or 50% because that's all the market will bear for that engine cost. Um, so use this parts pricing matrix. And if you don't have one, that's a good way to increase your parts margin because some shops operate on, I'm just going to double the price on almost every part I can. Well, that gets you 50% on your low cost parts. And then these more expensive parts are harder to mark up or dealer parts are harder to mark up because they have a higher cost and the market will only bear so much. Mm -hmm. And always remember that, you know, customers have this knowledge too. They can go find this parts, whatever matrix. Uh, Parts pricing matrix is kind of are available. Honestly, I don't think consumers should be looking up and seeing what in like, Hey, I can go get this part on Amazon. What's going to take me three days to get. Mm-hmm. Instead, I can fix your car today. I'm going to fix it right the first time, and I'm going to add a guarantee on it. Provides a lot more value, than, and then you're providing that service, right? Exactly, right. Mm-hmm. There's a convenience factor. There's a it's get done right the first time factor. It's mm-hmm. the I don't have to go to Amazon and buy this part and wait for it to ship. And hopefully, it's right, not from a you know a fake vendor or, or a less mm-hmm. quality vendor. Like I've done the work of vetting that part source, right? Because not all parts are from the exact same source. Mm-hmm. So there's like, you have to think about the intrinsic value of what you provide too. And, and a lot of us have what's called head trash around, do we have enough value for the work that we're doing and work we're providing? And the most successful businesses, you know, they really understand the value they provide, not really rely on what their perceived value in the marketplace is. Interesting. Interesting. So what, what else we got? Um, <clears throat> this is all, this is all great stuff. Yep. Right. So we, we covered just, in, I mean, really those last two tips are how do you increase your pricing? Mm-hmm. Now there's, can you sell additional services to that same customer? Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe, maybe as a, again, and we'll do auto repair shop stand theme right now we're a repair shop, meaning we're really selling break fix type, uh, a break fix type relationship. Maybe we can institute a recommended maintenance plan and we can sell maintenance services. Maintenance services, I think, to me, are a win-win. They're a lot more profitable for a shop to do and they're a lot better for the consumer. There's a lot of studies out there that prove that the more you maintain your vehicle, the cheaper cost of ownership that you have on that vehicle is. So while we might think of maintenance in a vacuum of like, Hey, this is unnecessary and this costs me more money. It's just a waste of money. In reality, I'd go, let's throw, put, put stats on the board and look at that. And I guarantee you that the proof is going to show that maintaining your vehicle is cheaper overall than just letting it break and fix it 
that when that comes I, out. I am willing to go with that as a, <laughs> as a owner of a dryer that I have constantly maintenance yes. as opposed to waiting for it to break. I have it's stuck with me for almost a decade now. Yeah. So no, I I am one hundred percent agree. And then on top of it, I always like to think about things as as far as um, working out the the timing yep. that works out for both the client and the provider. So obviously there are times of the year where, you know, you're slammed. You cannot take on more or mm-hmm. provide more services, right? You yep. know, if an auto, as far as an auto shop, your lot's full. Cars are always being worked on. You know, you can't put more hours in. Exactly. So with this kind of maintenance type schedule, where mm-hmm. people just are aware, hey, I'm going to take in my vehicle every two months or whatever the schedule may be. Yep. All of a sudden there's that kind of relationship where you're working together to get this done. And then you don't have to worry about, hey, oh, now my car's on the side of the road. Yeah. That you all of a sudden have that peace of mind. Well, also as, an, as a repair shop, right, a car that's in for maintenance isn't going to sit in your lot for more than hours. Mm-hmm. Whereas a car in for repairs, right, say it's a, a drivability issue, that car cannot leave your lot, mm-hmm. that part's on back order, that's taking up resources. You might not think about it because it's maybe not in a stall. Sometimes they are sitting in a stall. Or you have a project car, and that's taking up a resource that you and could fill. And that is more inconvenient for both of you. Exactly. Right? Yep. They don't have their vehicle for that long. Yep. And it's taking up a location. Yep. So totally. So these are all. These are all great. Anything else you want to just throw in? Yeah, I'll just throw in. Um, you know, from a market, from a spending on marketing and a, a spending on sales, um, always you need to know and understand some figures like what's my cost of acquisition. So how much money does it cost me to acquire a new dollar of revenue? Cause that's very important. Cause that's how you should be evaluating your sales and marketing activities. Right. Because oftentimes we look at things in a vacuum and we say, Oh my God, this marketing campaign cost me $20,000. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. If that yields me, if my goal is say 50 cents to acquire a new dollar of revenue, and that $20,000 marketing campaign brings me hundred grand of revenue. Well, that's a great campaign, right? Well, under my goal cost acquisition. So that's something that you really need to think about. Okay, if I want to grow by $300,000, right? And some of it, and it is through new business acquisition. What is my actual cost to acquire that business? And I need to know that number so I can make a decision on how to get there. Beautiful. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much, Eric. And, uh, to, the, to our listeners, if you guys want to go more in-depth on this subject, please let us know. We're more than happy to go into it. <laughs> yeah, we could do like a three-hour, one-podcast episode. Like that Lord Mark, of the Rings style. Mark right. would not – he would refuse for us to do that. So I'll have to get a, have to get a better, bigger cup. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Kaizen Time, part of the Blood, Sweat, and Business podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe and leave a five-star review. This podcast has been brought to you by Kaizen CPAs Plus Advisors, providing advisory and accounting services to help you grow your business. Learn more at kaizencpas.com or email us at bsb at kaizencpas.com.